You are about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Across the British Isles, there exist thousands of ancient megaliths, structures of mysterious origins, whose presence in the landscape continues to fascinate the world to this day, as the true use of many of these ritualistic sites is unknown. Resting in a picturesque meadow between the English counties of Oxfordshire and Warwickshire lie a series of ancient and mysterious stones some shaping a massive circle, others situated in various spots dotted across the landscape. Their presence provokes intrigue and awe, but who exactly placed them there is a mystery, as is their purpose in the ancient society that constructed them. Indeed, it is believed the stones hold ancient secrets and immense powers undefined by modern research. These are the Rollwright Stones. The mysterious nature of these stone megaliths have inspired many myths and legends, and centuries of stories associated with their existence, some of which center around a frightening and powerful witch, who quite possibly could be responsible for the stone's presence in the landscape. Join us on Into the Portal as we explore the fascinating legends of the Rollwright Stones. Hello, everyone. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. Welcome back into the portal, your gateway to the bazaar. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. Slightly late on this episode, but I think it's going to be well worth the wait mm-hmm. um, because it's a topic we're both really excited about. And we're heading back uh, over to the UK for some high strangeness after our little uh, quick stint in Scotland uh, mm-hmm. right before Christmas this past year. And if you haven't listened to our episode on the fairy coffins, definitely go check it out. Mm-hmm. But today, and you know what? I, you know what? I'm just going to jump right into this, I think, hey? <laughs> and that's what I typed at the top. We had a little chuckle about it before we recorded. But you know what? I think we are just going to jump right in. Let's do it. So like I said, we're heading to the central United Kingdom today, and we're kind of dealing with a few different angles of high strangeness, I would say. We're dealing with both the mystery of the Rollwright Stones, as well as the legend of the Rollwright Witch, and a few other interest pieces that are attached to both of those things as well. Because resting in the picturesque meadow, picturesque meadow, I should say, between the English counties of Oxfordshire and Warwickshire, and that's the best I can do with that, (laughs) 
lie a series of ancient and mysterious stones, some shaping a massive circle, which is my favorite of all of these monuments, and I can't wait to get into it. Others are situated in various other spots across the neighboring landscape. They are all very strange. They're breathtaking, depending on who you're talking to. But exactly who placed them there is indeed a mystery, and it's believed that they hold both ancient secrets and immense powers within them, as well as some other aspects of, uh, of, of strange phenomena that, that really are bizarre. So these are the Rollwright stones. And some of these monuments are even older than that of Stonehenge. They date back as far as 5,000 years, possibly even further than that. So they're, you know, older than many, most of like the pyramids in Egypt and things like that. Like they predate some of the most famous mm -hmm. monuments that we can think of that are extremely old. The name Rollwright itself, just to kind of paint a little bit more of a picture historically for you guys here, derives from an old English term. I'll try my best here. Horola Lundrick. Ooh. Something along those lines, which essentially just means land of Harola, which is an association with farming the land, so because it was always, that's how it was used throughout history. It was um, keeping these Neolithic peoples alive, but possibly meaning a little more than that, like the land itself as living in and of itself, which of course it is, it grows things, but maybe getting a little bit more literal interpretations of that as well. You're talking like the land itself possesses energies and things like that that can be harnessed. Exactly. And, and perhaps these arrangements are ways of connecting with that. Yes. And of course, that's the bread and butter of Into the Portal. So yeah, this Old English term, you know, Old English is the earliest historical form of the English language, obviously, Old English, brought <laughs> over by the Anglo-Saxons. So it's like the name Rollwright is a much more modern interpretation, right? Like this was not what ancient peoples were calling this place because today we are going back much, much further than the time of the Anglo-Saxons. Now, these prehistoric monuments are located next to an ancient ridgeway known as Jurassic Way. What an awesome freaking name that is. <laughs> yeah. Which is essentially a ridgeway that is a long-distance footpath, an ancient footpath, that extends roughly 88 miles or 142 kilometers roughly, but it actually probably extended much, much further in ancient times, which is just kind of interesting, right? It sort of shows how diverse the landscape might have been where people were going, but we don't really know. It's mm -hmm. just so freaking old. Yeah, it is interesting to think it was that these monuments are located next to this. So if you think about it, like it was like a, I like to think of it as an ancient thoroughfare. Where yes. People were coming and going. It was a... Uh, yeah, a way of getting getting around. So it's interesting to think, like, I'm always picturing it from, like, a bird's eye perspective, where it's, like, it's just been carved into the landscape because it's mm -hmm. been used for so many centuries and thousands of years. And when we get to the story of the witch, perhaps this was the path taken by the king. <laughs> Maybe. We haven't quite got to that yet. The landscape, getting back to the monuments, consists of three main elements or, or you know, of these ancient structures, if you will. There are various legends that have arisen over the centuries about each individual Neolithic site, you know, and not just these ones at Rollwright, but across the UK and Europe in general. But the Rollwright stones have been associated from everything from ancient kings to harvesting Earth's energy and even witchcraft, like we just said. And all of this is going to be coming in a hot sec, but first, we wanted to take a look at each site so we know what we're talking about. So let's take a little trip over to Middle England, because all of these monuments are unique and mysterious, but... We're going to start off with the Whispering Knights. Mm-hmm. The Whispering Knights. What a funny name, hey? Yeah. And this particular 
feature is thought to be uh, the remains of an ancient burial chamber that would have dated to around the mid to late Neolithic era. Yes. And it was it's considered one of these dolmens or a portal dolmen a as portal. another uh, yeah it's yeah. another sort of way of referring to it. But this is estimated to be freaking old man like this is about 3800 to 3000 BCE. So yep you know, or even older. That's kind of the approximation there. So we're talking about about a thousand years before Stonehenge. Right. So very old, very strange. Yes. And it is the remains. So it's kind of funny because when you look at this particular monument, it it does kind of give that impression of a bunch of like figures leaning in together and, and almost like uh, cavorting or what's the word I'm looking for? Like, you know, yeah, plotting. Exactly. Um, which does play into the legend that we'll mention here. But before we do, let's just address what is a dolmen, sure. right? Because I think we've mentioned them before in previous episodes, but it's actually, um, so what it is, is a structure from the megalith- a megalithic structure dating to the Neolithic era. Oh my gosh, that's yes. awful. That's a lot of lithics. <laughs> <laughs> megalithic, Neolithic, yeah. oh my goodness. But it's typically formed by a couple of stones. So there would be two like upright stones, mm-hmm. so vertically oriented with a larger horizontal stone slab kind of resting on top. Sure. If you want to refer to it, this is a very crude way, but it almost looks like Fred Flintstone's I house. knew you were going to say that, <laughs> but it is very true. It is. And there are some of the oldest examples found in Brittany, also in northern France, too. Mm-hmm. And these can date to around the 5th millennia BC. It's so old, man. Incredibly old. And they are present in other parts of the world as well. And they did have different functions depending on where they were in the world. Mm-hmm. So you can find them in places like northern Africa, Asia, the Middle East. And a lot of people will refer to these as kind of like a burial chamber of sorts or as a site where ancient worships or rituals would have taken place. Right. Anything from like, you know, uh, worshiping the fertility goddesses to perhaps aiding the transition of the dead into their next sort of state of being. Literally. Is another, yeah, exactly, like right? messing with the body, like doing particular treatments to, to, to bodies and moving things in and out or possibly. Or even letting them lay there to rest to almost mummify in the elements mm-hmm. a little bit. But another interpretation that was provided by BBC America kind of described dolmens or alternatively Kromlech, which is another term, I guess, mm-hmm. as, quote, the most common form of megalithic structures in Europe. Mm-hmm. So again, they, they say here, it goes on to say, it's assumed to have been a kind of tomb or ceremonial place somewhere to leave like human remains until only the skeletons remain. Yeah, and then they were buried right. elsewhere is kind of what people think because there's not a lot of bones that are usually found around these. Hence the name, I guess, portal, depending on how you're interpreting that, because it mm-hmm. is this transition point in that process of crossing to the afterlife or underworld or exactly. whatever the interpretations of these ancient peoples may have been. We don't actually know fully, obviously, but very yeah. interesting. I know, right. So this one in particular, the Whispering Knights Dolmen is described as exactly that. One of the most ancient portal tombs. <laughs> I love that in Ooh, all of Britain. Yeah. So again, love that name. We're into the portal here. So come on. <laughs> <laughs> of course. This, this just works. <laughs> but the chamber's purpose, uh, again, like we were saying, they would have contained bones of leaders, important peoples, of 
of all these individuals of the Neolithic era that would have settled along the ridge and the surrounding lands. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, this is actually well before the Druids and other sorts of high strangeness that we've talked about before in the past yeah, on the, the show. the Druids were drawn to these places. Like, mm, they showed up and mm-hmm. were like, oh, my God. Like, that's why they were so attracted to Stonehenge and to roll right into these amazing places. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of this idea of, like, how they were used and how they function in ancient societies is, a lot of it is conjecture, but, you know, people do think that there were the possibilities of multiple types of rituals happening at these sites. Mm-hmm. Um, they could have been like a multi-purpose sort of like ritual site slash burial site. I'm thinking, you know, it's almost like it reminds me of Dwight where he was like, oh yeah, like we get married. Our family tradition is getting married in our coffins. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real mixed bag it's that could real, have been going on at I these don't know, sites. maybe. But the, the interest piece too, before you continue on here, sorry mm-hmm. to cut you off, it's like the effort and extensive yeah. nature of like what these people went to mm-hmm. to create these things that would have been so ridiculously hard to make, even though they are like simple when you look at them. They're, these stones are so freaking massive. And yeah, just the importance, like... I wish I could be a fly on the wall, right? Fly on mm-hmm. the stone, I suppose you would say. A fly on the stone. Anyway, continue. <laughs> That's, that sounds like a podcast name. <laughs> Ooh, maybe a that's a, a, a history podcast for the network down the line. <laughs> and maybe it's like it's like tales from like the tombstone, like the graveyard. Where it's Ooh. like fly on the tomb. He's team just there the, just watching. Shout out to the graveyard tales boys there. Mm. We can team up with them for something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a good name crossover. Exactly. But okay, so going back to the actual, the whispering knights themselves mm-hmm. and... This is a fairly, I would say, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like, it's it's been broken down a little bit. It's It's been weathered. It doesn't actually have any uh, horizontal, like, roof part anymore. It's more so just, like, a collection of stones. Yeah, it, do- <laughs> it doesn't look like all that much now, although no. it still does look like it's obviously was placed there. It's intentionally placed, but right. yeah, exactly. It has been subject to a lot of weathering. Uh, so there's also two further monuments, right? So we've got the King's Men, which would be the next one we'll talk about. And that's a stone circle, which, again, they're quite predominant on the mm-hmm. aisle. And I think there's over a thousand of them. Don't quote me on that. But I think there was, like, roughly that much or more than that. Like across the British Isles? Across the British Isles, yeah. yeah. In different yeah. sizes and different, you know, yeah. whatever. But yeah. uh, this one actually is probably dating to about 2500 BCE. And it's interesting because the circle itself forms a kind of track and it does attract people to this day, like, you know, local walkers and, you know, people that are just like, you know, looking to get out for a nice little uh, meditation. And they do say, like when we watched uh, the Mystic Britain episode, um, Clive Anderson, one of the hosts, went there and he was interviewing some of the people that use the track regularly. And they were saying how they do feel... Like they do get a connection. There's some sort of energy transference happening Mm -hmm. or it's just like it's a very peaceful place for them. And he did actually do some interesting things with a dowser. A local dowser came and they were doing some things where they were picking up some strange energies. Yeah. So it's a very interesting place. And it's believed that there are roughly 70 stones. But again, that goes into another legend where it's like it's actually been... Not proven to be impossible to count them, but <laughs> it's pretty damn hard. It's very hard. <laughs> and once you go around, you start to like second guess yourself and you start counting them more than once. I think the legend goes if you can count them three times and get the same number, then you'll get good luck. Or oh, yeah. And don't worry, I've got on? that. Uh, I want I'm going to I want to discuss that in a little bit because there's a Perfect. few other folkloric, I guess. What, what would you call that? Like a they're not urban legends like uh Oh, like, yeah, like, yeah, that's the classic thing. Go around three times and your wish shall be granted kind of mm-hmm. thing. Anyway, there's there's a few different fun legends associated with them like that. 
Well, there was this other guy, too, that we wanted to mention, uh, a guy named William, oh my gosh, how do you say that? William Stuckley. Stuckley. Yeah, Stuckley, Stuckley. Stuckley, Stuckley. Interesting fellow, this guy. <laughs> you know, he was uh, prominent in sort of this idea that these Neolithic sites were actually, like, significant. You know, okay. people, people were, like, especially in the Victorian era, they were interested in them, but not enough to care. They would chip, chip off pieces and things like that as, like, little tokens and treasures and stuff, but they didn't really think much of what the ancient Britons that they originated from really were. So he, mm. he, he, made, a, he made a big deal about this. He had an interesting quote here as well. I don't know if you wanted to read yeah, it. Yeah, he did. He, he kind of described the stones as, quote, being corroded like worm-eaten wood <laughs> by the harsh jaws of time. And uh, they were said to make, quote, a very noble, rustic sight and strike an odd terror upon the spectators mm -hmm. and admiration at the design of them. <laughs> and yeah. That's the exact <laughs> um, Recently, actually, there was another woman, uh, Aubrey Burl, that called them 77 stones, stumps, and lumps of leprous limestone. Ooh. So they kind of appear almost like, yeah, like leprous figures. Oh, like, they do. They look very weathered. They look like... Cursed men, um, They kind of do, yeah. And then again, that does play into the, the legends that we're going to get into here. Before the, we do, though, there was one other stone we wanted to mention called the King's Stone. Yes. So not the King's Men that we just said, but the King Stone. And this is actually a solitary weathered monolith that is approximately dated to 1792 BC. Yes. Not 91, 92. 92, mm. baby. 92 was a good year. <laughs> <laughs> but the name, the King's Stone... And according to, like, the, I would say maybe the official website for the Rollite Stones. Yeah, official, unofficial. Official, unofficial. Uh, the name, the King Stones, quote, may have originated like some of the other standing stones of the same name from its use to mark an important meeting place associated with an extensive Saxon cemetery in the vicinity. Mm -hmm. So interesting. Again, another transitionary area, you'd say, hey? Absolutely. And it just goes to show, again, like through the Bronze Age and then into the Iron Age, these, these ancient peoples were digging close to these sites. Mm. So there's burial grounds from various different you know, millennium mm -hmm. nearby and they, people were attracted to them. There's a reason that's, that's what's so cool about them. I mm -hmm. have to, have to go and put my hand on one of these stones very soon. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And a lot of people have, and they've also taken little parts of the stones. Mm. So it's kind of sad. So the actual shape of this stone is described as like a standing seal, like a seal balancing a ball on its nose. Mm -hmm. It does look so like it's, that it's kind of a weird, yeah, but it, Honestly, it's it's because of all of the people over the centuries that have taken little tiny souvenirs. Yep. And also by, according to the local legend here, it was cattle drovers who would chip off small pieces that would act as lucky charms and keep the devil, quote unquote, at bay. There you go. So, <laughs> so and, and here we have the Christian Christianization where it's like, okay, I'm, how weird is that? We've kind of brought up stuff like that in other episodes where it's like mm -hmm. modern farmers chipping off something from an ancient megalith from a time that predates Christ by possibly 3,000 years or more, and it is using that as a charm to ward off the devil. I know. It it's is, interesting. It is, and is it more like that's just like a, a dumbed-down version of, like, keeping, like, the evil powers, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, something that's a little bit more pagan, but, again, has been Christianized right. over the years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Um, but, yeah, there's all these legends, so we should get into that because... Not only do these ancient monuments perhaps hold immense power, but they also have lots of secrets from a long forgotten past. Oh, indeed they do. And there might be some truth to some of them. And we're getting into all sorts of things, witches, fairies, 
all that good stuff. Oh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's dive right into some early legends then. And, you know, even today, there are, I, I guess we'd call them modern druids and practice, practitioners of sort of different earth-based magics, you know, uh, modern-day witches, Wiccans, that use this site, that continue to go to, there to this day to try to uncover these secrets. They're trying to tap into these things. And I know th- some people think that's very woo-woo, but I, I can appreciate trying to to you know, be the fly on the stone in a way, <laughs> like trying to, that's my new phrase of the episode, <laughs> phrase of the episode here. Um, there's even really cool thickets actually that you, people have put up now. So when you enter the site, it's like you're walking through, um, entering sort of like a different world, right? Mm-hmm. It has this very atmospheric sort of sense of that's it, even cool. though literally, you know, like the stone circle, the King's men is literally like right off of a highway. It's not like it's out in the complete middle of nowhere. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of strange, but Energies have indeed been detected around the stones, particularly the circle of the king's men. And you mentioned earlier, like, they used a dowsing rods in the um, Mystic Britain television Mm -hmm. series episode, where, which of course is not a scientific instrument, hasn't been proven that they're actually do anything really, but I'm air quoting proof because clearly there's something having to do with it, right? Like people Mm -hmm. do find things with it. So I'm a proponent of that. But the earliest legend that really ties into the name here, especially of the episode with the witch, the Rollwright witch, it was first mentioned in the 1500s. This notion that perhaps the stones are that of petrified men. <laughs> Who these men might be is a mystery. There's nothing specific in this first mention, but simply that they may be petrified men. And this was written in Cadman's Britannia. So this is written in Latin, 1586 CE is the date of its publication. And it states this, this is a quote, the translation, the common people usually call them Rolrick stones, and that they were sometimes men by a wonderful metamorphosis turned into hard stone. <laughs> sort of a rough translation from Latin there, yeah. but it's it's vague, but it's implying that something strange happened. You know, what, what does this mean? Like, what exactly happened here? And obviously the question being, could ancient soldiers have indeed been turned to stone? Mm-hmm. Which brings us to our next story. And we've only really dealt with this in terms of trolls and that sort of folklore and the idea of petrification. Yeah. Um, and we actually talked a little bit about the science of that, or quote-unquote science of that mm-hmm. from our Troll Hunter episode, like calcified yeah. Um, right? Like having a different UV composition, right? Light. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. Before I jump right into that, though, I wanted to just do a really quick look at like what the hell was going on in Neolithic Britain when these were built. Because if we're trying to decipher whether or not these could be petrified men based on a real story, I'm like, what the heck? But during this late Neolithic period, British society underwent, underwent massive changes. So between 3500 and around 3300 BCE, we've got prehistoric Britons that stopped their continual expansion and cultivation of wilderness. Instead, they started farming, right? And that's why mm. Rollwright became such they an important in. place. Yeah. The Orkney Islands as well, lots of different important sites up there, very similar, like farming was, was the thing. And they changed their religious beliefs in this time too. So the late Neolithic Britons were ceasing to construct the massive chambered tombs that we're talking about today. Oh, okay, so the dolmens you're talking right? about. Right, and they started mm-hmm. to move into to more of the stone circles using different forms of wood, different things like that. Ooh, but the point so. is that they were people of the land, and they were very superstitious. They definitely thought that the land itself was alive beyond the sense that you can grow stuff in it. And yeah. that's why the UK is so rich with these stories of fairies and sprites and spirits of the land and Mm -hmm. and things of that nature. 
Now, all of these changes in religion and, and subsistence living transitioned into tribal kingdoms throughout the centuries, which brings us back to the stones and the first story, if you will, or the most interesting one. So many centuries ago, when England was ruled by various tribes, there was an unnamed king who was allegedly attempting to become ruler of the entire land, taking over his neighboring clans. This is the most complete version that was published in Folklore. It was called Folklore in 1895 CE, and it goes as follows. As the king approached the hill, a witch appeared and stopped the king in his tracks by saying, quote, Seven long strides shalt thou take, and if long Compton thou canst see, king of England thou shalt be. Realizing that the village would certainly be visible from the edge of the hill, the king strode forward, shouting, Stick, stock, stone, as king of England I shall be known. So, full of confidence, he strode forward to claim his prize. But he was caught off guard as a mound rose directly out of the ground in front of him, and the witch exclaimed, As Longcompton thou canst not see, king of England thou shan't not be. Rise up, stick, and stand still, stone, for king of England thou shalt be known. Thou and thy men whore stones shall be, and I myself an elder tree. Hmm. So, kind of a difficult to unpack there, but he, he did not meet her challenge in this story. Well, he was tricked. He was tricked. And, uh, you know, you could, a, we can interpret that however we want. He, 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 mean he, he walked up onto her territory. This was just some sort of a strange place that she was, it, she, it, harvesting the energy of the Rollwright stones in the area, perhaps. But nevertheless, the result of this is that the king and his army were left as stone. The king became the lonely, solitary king stone that Amber mentioned, while the king's men were left in a stone circle, and the whispering knights which were allegedly a separate group of knights that were being sent to stop the king and his men, were left plotting mm -hmm. and whispering to each other about how they would mm -hmm. meet their task. I guess. So this is the, or were they plotting to overthrow him? Like, was that the whole thing? Ooh, maybe some of his knights that had gone off, it was going to be like a, like a coup? I don't know. A mutiny? It kind of <laughs> looks like it. Yeah, the whispering, you know. I don't know. Maybe not, though. <laughs> That's I, just my interpretation. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, this 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 legend of the witch has definitely stuck with people. Yeah. Um, There's a long history of witchcraft and witches and that kind of folklore in the area yeah. of Long Compton in particular. Uh, but interestingly enough, though, it is continuous and it goes on. And there was actually a local artist named David Gosling who decided he would create a wooden sculpture that kind of spoke to this whole tradition of witches really in spooky. the area. And it's really neat. It's really effective. And it is spooky. Yeah, you're right, Andrew. It's actually made of the branches of Wellingtonia trees. Ooh. And it is... It's it's like this really like cool like rustic looking. They're mm. all holding their wisp willowy hands together, and it's really neat. Um, it wasn't the most durable sculpture, though. Even sure. though it was held together with wires, it only lasted about a year before it succumbed to quote the forces of nature, mm. Mm. or maybe the witch didn't want him around anymore. Perhaps. <laughs> Do you feel as though there are things in your life holding you back, or that you could benefit from talking things out with a licensed professional counselor? BetterHelp.com is making it easier than ever to get on track with your mental health and connect with affordable therapists online from the convenience of your phone or laptop. BetterHelp.com is safe and private, allowing you to get help on your own time and at your own pace. 
You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. BetterHelp.com is available on multiple platforms and across the globe, so you have the help you need wherever you find yourself. They make it easy to assess your individual needs and match you with a licensed counselor wherever you are in the world. Just check out the testimonials posted daily on their site by people just like you. You can get started right away and begin communicating with a specialized counselor within 24 hours of signing up. This isn't your dog or your best friend. This is a licensed professional that will communicate with you via weekly scheduled video or phone sessions. And BetterHelp.com allows you to send a message anytime you need to with timely and helpful responses in return. BetterHelp.com offers a secure, convenient way to access affordable online therapists from the comfort of your living room, office, or wherever you find yourself these days. Financial aid is available for those who qualify. So please, if you feel like you could benefit from this, check it out at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com and use discount code PORTAL, spelled P-O-R-T-A-L, to get 10% off your first month. Start living your best life and take charge of your mental health along with over 1 million other people. Again, that's betterhelp.com with discount code PORTAL. So yeah, it is interesting how the figure of the witch actually figures quite prominently into the whole folklore tradition Mm -hmm. of the Long Compton area. And uh, we have some interesting stories to get into here. But before we do, we just want to take a quick break and thank our latest supporters and Patreon members who have joined the crew over the last month and a bit here. We've got a lot of awesome new folks around, and I'm just so, so amazed. Yeah. The support is incredible. Absolutely. We've got, let's just list them off here. We've got Dresden, 4077, got Jeffrey Watts, Kobe Jones, Mike Foster, Dan Crema, Carson Raycraft, Lori Alexander, Scott Barber, Mike Doreen, and also our newest producer, Kitsune. Kitsune. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is just incredible. Like, like I've already said before, we're having a lot of fun coming up with uh, some new topics mm-hmm. for our Patreon exclusive episodes. Yeah. The latest of which, actually, if you're enjoying this episode we're talking about today, we just released another from the more mysterious ancient history of Britain. Yes. And that was on the dreadful hog boy <laughs> and uh, this mysterious mound of Maze How. Yeah. So if you're digging on this whole like ancient British sort of theme that we've got going on here, then uh, yeah, I definitely recommend checking out our Patreon page yes. and seeing how you can support the show and get more of ITP. Yeah, <laughs> we would really appreciate it. And yeah, thank you so much to that list uh, of amazing people yes. that Amber just just uh, yeah just listed there. And yeah, I hope you guys are all enjoying that new episode we just put up. And and yeah, if you guys haven't looked at our Patreon, the link is in the show notes. So click it and and see what we do. And we would uh, mm-hmm. we appreciate the support so much. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And and you know what? And if you have and if you can't contribute on Patreon, it's it's all good. But yeah. leave us that five star review. You know, yeah. click click subscribe. There's tell so someone about the show. Exactly. Or come join us on the Facebook page. Even that. Absolutely. Fun. Love to have you on there. All right. You want to get back into some witchcraft? Yes. Okay. So witches in the area. So I think it should be important to cover more of the idea of like the history of witches in the area and some of the stories behind that. Mm-hmm. Because the one of the closest villages to the these sites is that of Long Compton. So we've already mentioned this. Uh, the legend of the Kingstone plays into that. And as one might guess, this area around the Rollwright Stones is full of legends and beliefs, many alluding to a dark past full of magic, 
witches and mysterious witchcraft practices. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Long Compton has been associated with witchcraft for many centuries. Uh, References date back to the Tudor times. Interestingly, even the witches in Shakespearean works may be based off of this tradition of witches found in Long Compton. Yeah. And things did get pretty dark here. And there was actually... Things that culminated with suspicions of locals that would grow into acts of violence and murder. And we've got a couple of stories here to speak to that. The first of which occurred in September of 1875 CE, when an old woman in the Long Compton area by the name of Ann Turner, or Tennant alternatively, who is described as a defenseless 80-year-old, mind you, (laughs) was stabbed to death with a pitchfork by, quote, a feeble-minded agricultural laborer by the name of James Haywood, who actually believed her to be the head of a local witch coven who had cursed him. Right. Hmm. Haywood was of the belief that there were about 20 witches living in the area, quote, whose sorcery prevented him from carrying out his work in the fields. (laughs) So again, this kind of brings to mind uh, the witch, uh, yep. The movie, The Witch, I should say. Oh, yeah. Just to clarify. Yes. Because uh, it does kind of harken back to this idea of witchcraft having associations with the natural world. Yeah. Um, having powers over the natural world and of the people who are working it, right? Like the fields and stuff. Yeah, like so this guy's driven insane, possibly. Like he's, yes. right? You know. And it's not as if like he was the only one that was kind of of the mind that this was a possibility, even though he was described by other local villagers in their testimony that you can actually read online. It's kind of cool. They've got the actual documents that have survived to date, but they described how he was obviously, yeah, kind of insane, but that there were the possibility of these things maybe existing in the area. Right. And this belief was still strong in the 20th century. And we're, if we have a next story here that dates to 1945, when another murder occurred. And this one was on Valentine's Day of all days. <laughs> Just to mm-hmm. make it extra special. And it involves another pitchfork too, which is kind of interesting. So a laborer by the name of Charles Walton was found spiked to the ground with a pitchfork and also with a cross carved into his chest and neck area. Ooh. This murder was never solved, although many locals suspected it was a ritual, something to do with witchcraft yeah and there was no evidence ever produced besides the body itself found in the way that it was yeah it's so weird Mm -hmm. it's almost like maybe someone who wanted people to believe that there was witches in the area murdered him put did carved the cross into him someone like a james uh uh, this this last fellow here the the simpleton farmer Mm, yeah maybe or perhaps it was just a convenient way to sort of like scapegoat the the, you know, like, use witches as a scapegoat. Just to murder someone. Exactly. Yeah, that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that too. Yeah. Maybe getting two birds stoned at once. But, you know, you, you really don't like witches. You don't like that guy either. Who knows? Exactly. Yeah. There's so many different, like, tales and legends in the area, though, and uh, local lore. There was this other one that w- included the tale of Granny Faulkner, <laughs> who was a woman allegedly able to transform herself into all sorts of different animals. So again, that brings to mind like Black Phillip. Oh, yeah. Uh, so like uh, familiars, things like that, too. Definitely. So yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. The pitchfork element, you're right. Like mul- th- That's that, weird. Th- yeah. it, that definitely just has this overtone of a witchcraft story to it when there's someone killed with a pitchfork fork like that's just 
it's very it's got this it's got this certain aesthetic to it does it not it's got this very historical you don't even know it's like it's like a it's oh, just man. weird. It's, it is. It is strange. It's funny. It's almost comical so to all, a certain degree. It's it, like, it kind what? of is. Right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. like spiked to the ground. Not to say like that's it's comical for anyone to be murdered. No, of course not. I mean, the Granny Falconer one is a little bit more vague and mysterious. The idea of a woman actually transforming into animals is yeah. is, is a little spookier, even than just like maybe some people being driven insane by the the elder tree witch that's still maybe remaining in the landscape and like doing some some dirty deeds type of thing. I mean, the, the, the interesting thing <laughs> about Long Compton <laughs> is that it was never really, like the central UK in this area was never a part of like the classic witch trials, like the 1700s, all that kind of stuff. It kind of well, like... It, 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 it did span that era though. That was roughly the eras of the 15th to 18th centuries. And there are stories dating from around those times. Like, from Long Compton? Oh yeah. Okay, Well, even sure. the Tudor tradition, like I just mentioned, like it goes all the way back and that's... But Tudor it wasn't necessarily like a famous area for that. Like, I mean, I guess the mm-hmm. whole British Isles were trying to root out witches because of... Uh, was it King Henry, I guess? Which which one was that? That I, was like really into trying to root out witchcraft. We've mentioned it a million times. Yeah. We can come back to that later. If we wanted to get into a little bit more possible evidence of like an actual ancient witch that may or may not have had the ability to turn men into stone there was an interesting site discovered in 2015 i think you you pulled Mm. this up yeah well we weren't sure if this was the same that was mentioned in the mystic britain episode but there was actually a woman whose skeletal remains were unearthed in 2015 and she was uh, actually buried with quite extensive like decoration which means that she probably was quite an important person high status yeah yeah someone of high spiritual status is the kind of the quote there but yeah she was about four feet 11 inches tall so quite small and she was buried with uh, what's known as like a bronze vessel also referred to as a patera and this is kind of referred to by archaeologists and researchers as possibly being used to present offerings to the gods and um it would have it could have also been something that you like wash your hands with like you know it's a very shallow vessel where things like wine or other sorts of things could have been ceremonial type Mm -hmm. of vessel yeah for sure yeah she was also found with a large amber bead and then also some amethyst set in silver yes which is very fancy so again yeah special care was taken to bury her interestingly that patera that bronze vessel the shallow vessel thing that's only the fifth one that's been discovered in britain to date so this is a very important object in ritual practices amongst wow. yeah. the ancient peoples she's been referred to as rita it's kind of her nickname now <laughs> and uh she was Dated to about the 7th century AD is what I saw Mm. in a couple of articles that was written about her. But again, I don't know. I think that's rough. And she's also been referred to as a Saxon pagan roll right witch. Roll right witch. So is she the roll right witch that everyone's been searching for? I don't know. Maybe she's the one responsible for all this madness over the centuries. Sure. Up for debate. Yes. I, I mean, I think obviously people would want to point to that because it's the most... I mean, the, the strongest evidence of such of such a thing because she was buried with these important ceremonial items where obviously if this mm-hmm. is like a Saxon pagan high priestess of some kind or whatever, mm-hmm. then there, there would have been some responsibilities she had knowledge-wise that others didn't. Mm-hmm. And, Almost uh, like a shaman exactly. kind of character. Mm-hmm. Very much like that. Her figure, I should say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it would have timed out somewhat to the era where perhaps there would have been these Roman... Uh, tribal chiefs that are calling themselves kings or wanting to be kings of a vastly you know, more territory 
in in the time of the of the Anglo-Saxons. So if this is a, a witch protecting her territory from another rival clan, like the story itself itself sounds so grandiose and mm. crazy. Mm-hmm. But if you take out some of the terminology and it's more of like a high status shaman woman that's guarding the land that she's on from another warring clan and some sort of magic takes place. Kings and queens and witches and these things are all very modern mm-hmm. labels we're slapping on it. But perhaps there was some sort of event that took place. Well, maybe she wasn't a witch. She was a guardian. That's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. These are all sort of the modern terms we're throwing on top. You always see that in like TV shows and like, you know, I'm thinking of like Game of Thrones and like that one that we love um, with Jason. What's that really cheesy? Atlantis Atlantis. on BBC from like 2012 or something. Where you get the the character of the high priestess that has powers, right, beyond the ordinary and is usually in the employ of someone that is either a lord or a king or someone that, sure. you know, it's more politically based. And so maybe perhaps this woman was in the employ of another rival lord or king right. or whoever. And mm-hmm. of course, the association with the stones is not only that she, you know, if we want to think of her as the witch and that turned them there, it's like she's found, she was found nearby. She's found right there. Mm-hmm. She's the role. She was, you know, not, it wasn't just off of the Saxon burial site that we mentioned earlier. It was like a, its own special separate thing. And it was right there at roll right. So it kind of makes sense. It wasn't just like hundreds of kilometers away or something like that. Mm. But of course, this is all, you know, tying back into the circle as the most significant out of the monuments, because that's where the most, well, I, w- I shouldn't say that. There's some strangeness with the Kingstone that I'm going to talk about in a second with it being a portal possibly for mm-hmm. other creatures or entities, if you will. <laughs> but there's definitely some legends about the circle itself that are just really fun and yeah, just again, allude to this idea that there is an energy there that might be able to be tapped into. You want to call it bringing you good luck. You want to call it bringing you good health. It could be a number of different things. Mm-hmm. But the main thing that people do when they go to visit the Rollwright Stones is try to count them. Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned off the top, it's really hard. And it's debated as to how many stones there actually are in the circle. But if you can count all the stones, legend has it, well, legend has it that it's impossible to actually count the stones. Like you cannot, like no one supposedly has ever gotten the same number exactly Mm -hmm. but it said that whoever will actually be able to count them three times over will essentially have their heart's desire will have their heart's desire fulfilled Mm -hmm. but it's extremely it's really really hard there was a uh, a local baker who swore he could count them uh, and to prove it he baked a number of loaves and placed them (laughs) one for each stone and tried to count them that way but each time he tried to collect them up uh, some of the loaves were missing. Hmm. So again, this ties into some folklore that perhaps there was uh, little little fairies or some other entities that were preventing anyone from counting the same stone <laughs> thrice over because they don't want anyone to tap into that magic. Maybe. Or and maybe it's the stones themselves. May- exactly. Maybe it's the stones themselves. <laughs> uh, especially if they are petrified men. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're messing with people. And of course, Clive Anderson in the episode of Mystic Britain attempted this, like you said. It didn't turn out so well. I think no. he, he struggled on the second one. He was way off. Yeah. He was, was all like over. Way off. Yeah, way, way off. Mm-hmm. Things do get a little bit darker and just, frankly, more bizarre when we talk about legends about removing the stones. Yeah, some people were chipping off stuff, but there's a really, really, really strange legend here we pulled from the Roll Right Stone <laughs> yeah. website. They're like unofficial, official website. Go ahead, Amber, because this one sure. is really, really weird. I think it's weird. It's not really dark, though. It's just no. Kind of we're getting we're getting a little bit more like towards that. Maybe. Well, it does have this 
interesting magical connotation and it mm. kind of reminds me of the easter island stones the moai and the idea that stones can move themselves yes or or can prevent them from being moved or like you know they kind of have their own will right so to speak. the mana mm-hmm, the mana but in this particular legend from the roll right stones website um, it goes that a local farmer supposedly tried to take one of the largest stones to use as a bridge over a stream. Mm-hmm. And it actually took him 24 horses to drag the stone all the way down the hill. And the legend goes that there was a man that was killed along the way. Mm-hmm. So some pretty bad luck. Eventually, they did get the stone across the stream. But by the morning, it had flipped over onto the bank. Every day that they replaced it, they would go back to find it. <laughs> the exact same way. Yep. It refused to act as their bridge. And then, interestingly, their crops started to fail. This is when the farmers decided to, you know, stop fighting the superstitions and put the stone back. It only took one horse, allegedly, to drag it back up the hill to <laughs> where it belonged. It was kicking and screaming that first mm-hmm. time. It was pulling against those 24 horses. Exactly. That's that's pretty weird. Yeah, that is a pretty interesting little little story there. I liked that one a lot. Yeah. And it kind of gives the stones themselves personality as opposed to like, you know, like the idea of like magical sprites and fairies living amongst them. That's really cool too. Absolutely. But yeah, no, I love this idea of like uh, anthropomorphizing these stones. <laughs> yeah, because and yeah, we can you can believe how, whatever. Yeah, because like how would they be? Is it the is it the petrified men that like want to stay in their circle with the chance of potentially being turned back into a real boy, <laughs> right? Like, like, <laughs> like Pinocchio. Pinocchio. Oh my gosh. But I'm glad you mentioned fairies because this is where I'm heading now. And I've been waiting to get to this because there's been legitimate claims by witnesses that have said they've seen creatures and strange happenings around the Rollwright Stones. And not just the Rollwright Stones, but across Europe in general. You know, so the question here is like, could they represent not just petrified men, but perhaps other elemental creatures or spirits of the earth that were placed there by these ancient Neolithic peoples. You know what I mean? Like it's representative of the, of the fairies and burial mounds across the English Isles are thought to be this sort of like entry point to perhaps an underworld, if you will, of elves, possibly even demons, depending on what site or what area you're looking at familiars that come alive in popular imagination in books and things like that. I mean, it's definitely been played on in, literature, but there might be something much more literal to it. You know, for example, at the Rollwright Stones, fairies have been seen allegedly, quote, dancing and then disappearing down a hole that's located right around the Kingstone, which is essentially implying that they are using this site of Neolithic significance of energy, ley line point possibly, as a underground entry point to their other world, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which little woo-woo, but pretty awesome. Because there is this long-standing association between fairy-like creatures and megalithic structures across the British Isles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fairies would be regarded as being more, you know, I mean, it, this reminds me a little bit of like when we talked about fairies in Iceland, I think, or, or elves in Iceland, where they build oh, yeah. some of these ancient structures. So mm-hmm. I think there's some association with the idea that perhaps like yeah like they may the fairies helped people build these things or they were mm. placed there for a certain specific purpose that the earth was telling them to that's I guess interesting that say. reminds me again of, like the menahune of, the menahune of Hawaii yeah. and things like that yeah yeah huh, that's cool i like that. there have been other reports and legends that speak of tunnels that run between these ancient sites underground <laughs> and they're inhabited by these quote you know little people the fairies right mm-hmm. and 
in some stories that do get a little bit dark, there's humans that have been able to access them. So it's not so simple as like you just walk around the Kingstone, there's a hole there, a rabbit hole, and you can go into the fairy world. It's a little bit more nuanced than that. Like you have to know how to look. It's oh, like okay. sort of the idea, I think, right? Hmm. But I'm almost picturing it like the princess and the goblin, like that sort okay. of narrative, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where she ends up finding, almost like Alice in Wonderland-esque, where yes. she ends up accidentally slipping through That's exactly That's exactly what it's like. Mm-hmm. And accidentally is the optimal word because there's legends that there's some humans who have accidentally entered into these places. And when they found a way back out again, they, they emerge into their outside world and realize that uh, time has been manipulated, which mm-hmm. is sort of strange. It's as if they are really entering into a different dimension. So th- there's legends that, they, you know, people will find their way into one of these fairy tunnels and come out and it's either days later or years have passed or sometimes vice versa where d- no time's passed at all, but they felt they've been underground for, for days and days and days. Weird. So I love that because it is this idea. And of course, we mentioned the idea of portal tomb, which is, of course, associated with Neolithic people's burial stuff. Mm-hmm. But now when we're bringing in the elements of the earth and possible little entities and creatures, it's maybe a little bit more than just that. <laughs> there are some other really interesting ideas associated with these that I just have to list right now because music and dancing is one that people genuinely think that the circle of the king's men may have been constructed for, a meeting place for celebration, mm-hmm. singing and dancing. Well, that's also what people claim to be seeing the fairies do around some of these megalithic sites. So there's legit archaeologists saying that maybe this is what they were for, a celebration site to dance and try to like conjure things potentially. And then people claim to see strange elemental beings dancing or or doing exactly that outside of them. So I think that the circle is used for for conjuring spirits of the earth. That's what I think it was for. Um, There's been people that have claimed that you know, other locations across the UK, like Wicklow, the Wicklow fairies are said to play their pipes at midnight and hmm. dance around the, the Hural Stan in Northumberland. Hmm. Just just tossing that out there. <laughs> I haven't I haven't talked to anyone or seen anything online with people recently claiming that they've seen fairies there, but maybe that's a thing. What do you think about that? Well, I think that definitely kind of like it, it is all very tied into that rich sort of tradition. It does, again, I'm, like, thinking of, like, the witch. is like, you know, like, remember that end scene where she ends up joining in with all of the other witches in, in the middle of the woods? And there's, um, yeah, some really interesting, like, obviously they're all in a circle, too, and they're all chanting and, and yeah, exactly that, conjuring the spirits of the forest. Right. So I think there's a lot of... Uh, and trying, just trying to tap into stuff. So I have a, I'd wanted to mention this. I told you this yesterday, which was just kind of funny. You know, it's, it's not just the idea of, you know, being one with nature or whatever with these modern day druids going to the site, but genuinely like trying to use the stones for healing, for, for trying to reach a different mm-hmm. portal, like a fairy world or whatever. I, this was a funny one. In 1743, there was a local woman, a group of local women who believed that the stones could help their f- fertility. Mm-hmm. And specifically, they would go and rub their breasts on the kingstone hmm. in an hmm. attempt He's to that. <laughs> increase fertility. Uh, yeah, the king must have, must have really been loving that. It's. Uh, I wonder if it actually worked. I, don't I know. wonder if anyone got pregnant <laughs> they three have a, times over after that. <laughs> did they have a control group? And then did, right. <laughs> I want to see that experiment. Per, perhaps, perhaps they did. I'm not. I'm not so sure. I mean, we okay. I, I, you know, I've got some thoughts and theories and some weird stuff, but that's that's enough of me talking about fairies. Maybe we can head into uh, some of our sort of final 
our final thoughts on this uh, on this strange topic here. Mm-hmm. Well, what? Yeah, exactly. What are your thoughts and theories on this? Could it be true in some way, or what? What? What can we just chalk up to pure folklore and just fun stories around the campfire? And there's or whatever? like, yeah, and there's sort of multiple angles of what we're dealing with here too, right? It's like, okay, why are the stones there? What are they for? Then we have the weird legends about the witch and some of the other side stuff that we're trying there's, to prove. Well, there's been so you know. many layers of history and different traditions just kind of exactly that layered on top of each other throughout yeah. time. And like we said right off the top of the bat, we don't even know originally what the function and the purpose was when these were originally built we all have theories and ideas and we've mentioned a few of those already but Mm -hmm. again it's yeah it's it's all kind of up for grabs and as these people as different peoples move in and create their own culture and their own stories like these roll right witch stories and things like that it's just it yeah i don't know it Who's to say what's what? I do have truth a way. Truth is whatever you well, feel. Like, you know what I mean? This, yeah. However you know what you know is your truth. You yes. know what I mean? So Right. I do have a way of loosely trying to tie in the idea of, like, the portal tomb that you talked about into the idea of people literally seeing creatures and fairies and stuff. Because one of the theories is that the origins of these creatures, like, or entities, if you will, like a fairy, is that they represent the spirits of the ancestral dead of the land. Mm -hmm. So if these are portal tombs where people are being placed to get to a certain state and then then they're transitioned elsewhere, perhaps what is seen later on is their their spirit. They're They're the ghosts of these Neolithic people that I guess are coming back as a little bit more elemental beings. They're not just like ghosts like of the dead. They're now these fairy creatures. You could interpret it too in the other way where it's like the people that are supposedly seeing these figures, these shadowy elemental figures or whatever, like maybe they're just seeing ghosts of the past, like whispers from the past or echoes like we've referred to even from uh, past episodes like the Partridge Creek monster, for Oh, example. I like that actually. Something like that, right? Where it's just like, it is echoes of things that have just remained to a certain degree. Right. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I don't even, I, I probably shouldn't even toss this out because this is very much not a UFO episode, <laughs> but there's sort of a, there's a, a few different fun little lists online of, of fun facts about the Roll Right Stones. And this is one that didn't really get taken too, too far, but obviously people do have talked about this with like Stonehenge and stuff like that, right? Like, are these ancient peoples trying to make these circles as some sort of a meeting point because you can see it from above? Right? Mm, mm, right? I see. So yeah. in 1962, there was a story where allegedly a young farm, uh, farmer who was driving a tractor right along uh, the edge there of Roll Right in, in proximity to the stones saw a white pillar of light hovering 15 feet in the air before uh, disappearing quickly. And he stated that he was so frightened that he sped home and, uh, and, and didn't mention the incident until later. But this is added to this idea that perhaps roll right because this has been this has happened at other stone circles across the uk and just in europe in general maybe it was uh i mean the ancient alien guys would be loving this mm. <laughs> that they're that it's a meeting place or a marking point for something like that i am not going that way no. i am i am not leaning that way for this there's not enough other evidence at all to suggest that in any way whatsoever i'm more it's interested a- in the elemental beings of the earth personally that's that's where that's my jam mm-hmm mm. Yeah, I think that's probably a, a little bit more grounded <laughs> <That's>, interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than just being like, it was for aliens. Yeah, no, I guess that's... Uh... Well, I 
actually had some other examples that I wanted to bring up of different Neolithic structures that are quite impressive as well. And this is just a few little interest things here, but there is a burial chamber and this is found in Wales and it's called the St. Lythen's Burial Chamber. Mm. And this is actually a single stone dolmen and it was erected approximately 4,000 BCE. But it's really interesting because, again, classic Flintstones house. It oh, just yeah. looks like it's got the cute little roof on the top. <laughs> it's got the three sides and it's like this like adorable little like open sort of area, enclosure sort of thing. And according to local legend, each Midsummer's Eve, the capstone is said to rotate three times and all of the stones then go for a go to the river for a dip. <laughs> So, so they're anthropomorphizes again. Cute? It's like these, I love that. That is so yeah, because it's like all of these things have some sort of like a life to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was another one uh, that is dated to about the same era, four thousand BC. It's considered to be about six thousand years old now, mm-hmm. and it is one of the best preserved dolmens of Britain. So unlike the Kingstone, that's basically or sorry, Kingstone, the King's Men, yes. who are kind of just all crumbling around each other. They don't really look like much now. This one is one of the best preserves, and it consists of an impressive seven stones. Six of them are upright, so vertically oriented. And um, there's two that kind of act as an entrance, so like two, like almost like entrance pillars. And then there's a third leaning across the entrance. And then there's an additional three vertically oriented ones that are holding up a massive 16 foot long capstone that's that's at a height of just over eight feet. It's really cool. That's massive. I'm like kind of flabbergasted that Stonehenge kind of gets all the media attention and that all these other ones kind of just get thrown in the back. This yeah. one, I don't know if I even said the name. It's called Pentra Ifan. Okay. If, I'm probably just totally mispronouncing that, but I'm sorry. But that's the, that's the actual phonetic close. there. Interestingly, though, I will add this. Um, this was a quote from BBC America. It says here, no bones have been, been found at this site, the one I just mentioned here, Pentra Ifan, uh-huh. um, which is another reason, they say, why experts believe these constructions were a place to lay the dead before burial so a transition so so i'm thinking again right going back to the spiritual beliefs and things like that the idea of laying these people in the land almost so that maybe their spirit can be dispersed into the land right or or connected to again that sort of portal transition transcendent zone where they again something's happening there and obviously we don't really know what yeah, we don't. they were interpreting that as but yeah. anyways I thought that was really cool because again just going back to the idea of like if you were an ancient person living in the landscape of Britain and you come across something like this or you have a part in building one of these things like yeah. just how powerful that would be right. and and just just to see it and, and you'd probably be in awe of it just coming across it in the landscape itself but just the idea of like a collective effort to make things like this come into existence is really interesting to me the amount of effort and the, the reason why because the belief has to be so so strong yeah you know and mm-hmm. and and i feel like it's the, like yeah the purpose it, yeah and, and it's not great. just as simple as you know simple people doing something because it means so much even though it's really just it's 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 just a structure mm-hmm. i do think yeah like we've mentioned this a million times there's no way for me to quantify it but that you know six thousand years ago when these things were first being constructed there was just a completely different lens of viewing the earth mm-hmm. and the world around you mm-hmm. 
And it wasn't just because of things they didn't know. It was because things they did know because of the exact moment in time where they were that we now are completely oblivious to. Yeah. And I feel like that's where the witchcraft element of like ancient witches, which of course the the story of the the king and the witch is so much more modern. Yeah. Right. But I like the idea of of it possibly being based on some sort of um of the idea of it being manipulated in a bat in a like ancient people manipulating it in a different way, right? Like, like earth talk- magic or something. Yeah, you're like. talking about, like, we're talking about these portal tombs as, like, this transition point and all this stuff. Perhaps there was people that were going to be using them for dirty deeds as well. You know what I mean? <laughs> right? Because they are these places of such significance. Dirty deeds. Dirty witchcraft, Ancient nastiness, dirty. you know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, but, of course, it, it is... Uh, it was sort of disappointing to find out that, you know, the modern version, the story of the king and the witch is really more of a late 18th century, 19th century creation. And there's actually other references where it's not even a witch, but a magician rather, hmm. who actually turns the king and his army to stone, which immediately makes me think of Merlin. Oh, yeah. And sort of this, the the early legends of Arthur mm-hmm. and uh, and some of that weirdness in the centra- in central UK as well. Oh, yeah. But... Again, there was oh. definitely magic happening, whether or not it was the witch of ancient times or just a story in the 19th century. There, something may have happened around the Rollright Stones that was very much similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny because even going back to the, the Kingstone legend and how he is an unnamed king, right? Yeah. And, like, we don't really know the era of, like, you know, when this supposed king might have been ruling or trying to rule or whatever. It was all kind of ambiguous. Right. But the idea of, like, yeah, like, this... Not conflated with, like, say, like, things like the King Arthur tradition, but almost, like, a, another example of that kind of thing yeah. where it's, like, yeah, now it's, who knows, like, maybe, like, some sort of other king, mythical king that might have been even conflated at some point or another with the King Arthur tradition. Right. Maybe he was this guy that we're talking about today. Who knows? Like, I'm, yeah, it's all just, like, fun and fable and lots of folklore, right? That's just like I said before, peppered in, layered in over the centuries. And who knows how much of it obviously comes into play. The only thing that is the physical evidence is the stones themselves, right? right? Like, And then everything else is just hairy fairy. It, it kind of is. <laughs> you know, we can go there and see if we feel the energy of the stones and, and you can more, make our wild interpretations. Well, yeah, exactly. And I'm much more interested in the more ancient like neolithic side of it and less about like you know kind of the it's really fun to talk about i love the idea of like you know these these witches and, and fairies, fairies and, and that type of thing it's all very very fun but for me i just like get so much my juices get flowing from like the idea of like the actual when these were constructed yeah. and who those people were and yeah. all of that is just such a huge mystery still absolutely well you guys we want to hear your thoughts and theories on the roll right stones mm-hmm. the story of the roll right witch the idea of these megalithic structures being placed on sites of significance where perhaps there may be the ability to conjure up entities of the earth or uh, just energies of the earth in general there's sort of a lot going on with this, but you're right, Amber. I think the interest <laughs> is centered on the the people that really that place them there, mm-hmm. and just how, oh man, just 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 the feeling. It's like the hair is sort of standing up on the back of my neck, not for fear, like just but just thinking about it right now of just how weird it would have been to witness this because of yeah. the significance it had to these people and their motivations. And, it's you know pretty special. Yeah, um, it's pretty neat. 
anyway so yeah hit us up you guys we want to hear what you have to say yeah. comment on uh, well we'll have a face a facebook post coming out here so hit us up on there leave a comment below mm-hmm. uh, come would follow you, us would you want to be the fly on the stone Ooh, the fly on the stone that's right thank you for bringing that up again that was the quote of the episode today <laughs> Uh, yeah, so come follow us on Facebook at Into the Portal Podcast, Instagram at Into the Portal Podcast. We're on Twitter at Into the Portal One. We do have a TikTok account with no videos on it yet, but I think it's Into the Portal Podcast on TikTok. Yeah. Come follow us. Give us some motivation to start putting out some videos yeah, on there. Please do. And uh, definitely hit up our website if you haven't before, you guys, into the portal.com, where you can uh, check out a little bit more about us and about the show. And uh, leave us that five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. But uh, as always, thank you so much to our Patreon supporters, to our mm-hmm. producers, uh, Adam Kellums, mm-hmm. Kitsune. Nightwing. Nightwing. <laughs> and uh, all of our supporters on there. And for all of you guys out there listening, wherever you are in the world, hit us up if you're in some weird place because we love to hear it. Into the portal mailbox at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. All right. Until next time on oh, Into the Portal. Your gateway to the bazaar. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.